Today, I'd like to invite you to come sit with me on the side of the Mount of Olives, right here on this little rock. We've got a quiet spot overlooking the city of Jerusalem. Don't know if you can see it, but off there in the distance, we see the Dome of the Rock. It sits on the location of the temple that was built to replace the sanctuary that we have been studying about all for a couple of weeks now. As I look at it, I'm remembering how important that spot was. The first memory I have of it, of course, is when Abraham told his son that God will provide himself as the lamb for sacrifice. Many years later, a temple was built there by Solomon, replacing the wilderness sanctuary. Solomon's temple was destroyed during Israel's captivity in Babylon. After permission was granted to them to return to their homeland, a new temple was built by Zerubbabel. It became known, though, as Herod's temple. I'm not sure why he gets so much credit, other than the fact that he enlarged it and at much expense to himself, I believe. It would seem that once that temple was destroyed in AD 70, God wasn't really concerned that he lost his temple residence. By this time, God had wanted to set up his dwelling place in a more personal abode in the lives and hearts of his children. And now the door is open to the heavenly sanctuary where our high priest ministers to provide the rich blessings that our studies of the last few weeks have uh, revealed to us. Today we're going to wrap up our study on that sanctuary, and our focus will be on the Day of Atonement to reveal the climax of God's plan of salvation. This solemn holy day occurred once a year on the 10th day of Tishri, the seventh month of the Hebrew calendar right between the Feast of the Trumpets, which announced the coming of the Day of Atonement, and afterwards, a Feast of Tabernacles, which was a celebration of all the good things that the Day of Atonement provided. Our goal is to find out how that day reveals something that will help us see Jesus, not just as the high priest, but as our high priest, as your high priest. Father in heaven, we're going to pause for just a moment because we recognize how greatly needful we are of your Holy Spirit's presence. Open our hearts, our minds, let us hear you speak to us that we can understand your plan and see more clearly Jesus in all of this. In his name, amen. We all face all kinds of problems on our journey. That's no surprise to anybody here. But have you ever stopped to think that perhaps God has a problem? Surely not. Not God. But yes, God does have a problem. Oh, it's not like ours. Not the ones we deal with every day. Um, the problem's not crime or broken homes, disease, or even hungry or war. Despite how terrible these problems are, they are only symptoms of the real problem that God took upon himself. And that problem 
is sin. Until the problem of sin is solved, all these other human problems will continue. So, what is the ultimate solution to this problem of sin? What happened in the most holy place once a year, there where judgment of evil really began, <clears throat> completes this answer which is grounded in cleansing. Let's take a minute to look at what happened on the Day of Atonement as it was introduced, first of all, in the wilderness sanctuary that the Israelites had built on their journey to Canaan. After doing the regular morning sacrifice and burnt offering, Aaron took off his priestly robes and put, washed himself and put on the special garments that were the garments of the high priest for entrance into the Holy of Holies. Then the necessary sacrificial, sacrificial animals were chosen, one as a sin offering, a bull for Aaron's sin, and two male goats for the people's sin. There was also two rams designated that were to be the burnt offerings, one for the um, people and one for him, as a consecration. There were also two goats presented to the Lord. Those had to wait at the door of the sanctuary. Then Aaron took a sweet-smelling incense and burned it to create a cloud that would have a dimming effect of the presence and glory of God that was in the holy place. It was only after that incense cloud filled the room with, that held God's presence that the high priest could enter and sprinkle the blood of his sin offering on the mercy seat seven times, and then to do likewise with his sin offering of the people. I think I remember correctly that when Jesus returned to heaven, to heaven's court, was he not carried on a cloud to the presence of his father? The cloud must have some kind of an uh, importance. But there is also a big significance in the sprinkling of seven times as it, as it points to Christ as our complete um, substitute. His blood was applied seven times and it points to him. Seven times for my sin. The head was wounded with a crown of thorns. His back was lacerated with whips. His right hand was nailed to the cross. His left hand was nailed to the cross. His right foot was nailed to the cross. His left foot was nailed to the cross. And finally, his side was pierced to birth his new church. At this point in the Day of Atonement's process, the prophecy of a future event is brought front and center. Lots were cast for the two waiting goats to determine which one would be slaughtered and which one would be um, sent away. The one sacrificed as a cleansing agent that would take away the sin from the sanctuary and the camp. As this, blood, as this goat's blood was taken into the Holy of Holies, there was no confession of sin so that it could re represent the pure, untainted blood of Jesus. And it was sprinkled there. It could gather up symbolically the sins that had been stored there for so long, throughout, throughout the year, and remove them, take them away. 
That was what was going to provide for the forgiveness of sin. It said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Sin and impurities are removed from God's resident, making it very clear that he was not the source of this evil problem. By placing sin on the live goat, it is represented that the evil one is the one responsible for sin as the originator of evil. It would seem that that should be the final answer to the problem of sin. But no, Aaron then changed his clothes, washed himself, and offered the consecration offerings for himself, his family, and the people. Then the fat is burned away, and the leftover parts of the sacrifice were taken outside of the camp to be completely, totally burned up to ashes, saying clearly that that is sin's ultimate destiny. Before ending the discussion on what this Kipper Day was all about, verses 29 to 31 of Leviticus 16 describe what the people were doing during all this time. You shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of Israel or a stranger who dwells among you. You see, the Israelites were to spend the day in solemn humiliation before God with prayer, fasting and a deep searching of heart meant to display that they had a total dependence on God's cleansing power. Have you ever attempted afflicting your soul? Humbling my soul is a deep searching of my inner guts to determine where my desire is focused. I remember a time when it was important for me to do this. It was when I first started my journey back to God. Affliction was all too real. Many years ago, God and I struggled with a decision for me to let go of the past and return to a church that had sent me packing many years before. I spent several weeks, probably months, struggling with this issue, afflicting my soul to allow God to work and to give me the humble repentance I needed. It was something I wasn't sure I was willing to accept. As it happens, one Sabbath morning, I was golfing with my husband. And my mind was really not on the golf. And so naturally, my ball went over there somewhere. So I had to go down the fairway, between, along the fairway and the rough, looking for it. And as I'm walking along, God and I are trying to have, continue this discussion, when my husband interrupted me with, so are you looking for your ball? Well, duh. Well, of course I am. What do you think? But my smart mouth wasn't going to say that. You see, I had to respond, no, I'm not looking for my ball. I'm looking for a $50 bill out here in the middle of the golf course. Well, he said, well, your ball's up this way. Well, my concentration had been broken, so found my ball, we finished the game, and went home. Later that evening, my husband decided that he wanted to go down to the local Boomers, local sports bar, so he could watch his Maple Leaf hockey game, because he had heard that they would put it on for him, and 
This was in the days before you could stream it into your own TV at home. So I said, okay, I went along, grabbed my book, and as I'm sitting there, sipping on my ginger ale and reading, he's watching the game. When it was finally over, he said, okay, we can go. So as we're leaving, we walk across the driveway, or the road, I guess, just before the parking lot. And out of the corner of my eye, over there somewhere, I saw a dollar bill. So of course, I'm going to pick it up, right? I grabbed it and hurried on to the car. And as I'm opening it, my husband says, what'd you find, a dollar? And I said, no, I found a $50 bill. God spoke loud and clear. I am here, and I hear you. I was rebaptized. Now, I wish I could say that 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 was the end of my afflicting of my soul. However, it wasn't long after that that God and I had another discussion because there was still something else he was trying to work out. I remember talking to him and saying, I hate to ask you for a 50 again. It's really not about the money, but somehow I've got to know where I'm going and what is this all about. So there was a friend who asked me to marry his daughter. Don't get bent out of shape. I'm a notary, so I'm legally allowed to do such a thing. I used to love the reaction of people when I told them I married my son. That was when um, I said, sure, how much do you charge? Oh, I don't charge. I don't pay for my notary. I don't charge for the services, so nothing. He said, well, here, here's a thank you card because we really appreciate your services. Later, when I opened the card, guess what was in it? No, a hundred. God said, If you don't get the message that I am here and I hear you now, we need a lot more afflicting soul. Now, your answer to affliction isn't probably going to look like my answer, but the promise is that God accepts your afflicted soul and provides personal evidence of the fact that he is empowering you to move on. I wish I could say that that was the end of my afflicting of soul, but it continues. And God always sends me some kind of message that I recognize him. Um, I have gotten through the message that I'm starting to realize I am never closer to God than when I recognize how far away from him I am. Why do I tell you all this afflicting my soul thing? The need to afflict my soul is not a one-time event. And the continued humbling, humbling of my soul digs deeper and becomes more intense as I grow in spiritual relationship. Sometimes when we feel that we are totally without a connection to God is when he is the closest, because that's when our afflicting the soul has reached the very throne room that we're looking for. I'm convinced that this is probably why God instituted a yearly 
Day of Atonement. We need lots of reminders and redos. Now, the real question that I'm going to ask is, as we've looked at this Day of Atonement as it was initiated so many years ago, why do I really care today? There's no more sacrifices. The reason I care so much, folks, is we are living. This is the time of the Day of Atonement. 2023 is fast approaching the Day of Atonement's end. The first thing that we need to make clear in our minds is that the Day of Atonement referenced a ritual polarity of holy separated from the impure and revealed the sources of both. In its uniqueness, this Day of Atonement took the priest from the very center of holiness and life, where the mercy seat, the place of atonement, was found, and from there moved to sin and impurity so far away to a place out in the wilderness somewhere. This stated that the presence of sin and impurity in the camp was the result of an incursion of a foreign object into the life of the people, and the Day of Atonement pointed to a day when that great conflict would be over. The walk through the sanctuary has been a history lesson for us living in 2023. You remember Christ entered the courtyard, the eastern gate of the courtyard, about AD 4. He walked to the labor of washing so that he could dedicate himself for the anointing to do the mission he came to do and fulfill his purpose somewhere around AD 27, or actually in AD 27. Then Christ made his way to the altar of sacrifice in AD 31, pouring out his perfect life for atonement, and soon after walked through the curtain of the heavenly sanctuary to minister the blessings that he had come to give. Um, now the Day of Atonement talks of what was yet to come in this great plan of God's salvation as he reveals it more clearly. Just like the message that was sent out, then I saw an angel flying in the midst of heaven, crying with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come. The trumpet announced the Day of Atonement, which is a typological expression of the final judgment and its purpose. Have you ever sat in a courtroom on Judgment Day? Or maybe even on the judgment seat? I remember sitting in the gallery once, watching as the judge declared the verdict to various wrongdoers. Their reactions amazed me. Some just shrugged their shoulders as if I don't care and went out with very little emotion. Others would get angry and curse, or swear. There were always a few who left sobbing. There were some who left rejoicing, for they were declared not guilty. The Day of Atonement is pleading with you to accept the not guilty verdict that your attorney has obtained for you. As we continue our discussion of this Day of Atonement, it's crucial to determine that God is just in declaring his people not guilty. Despite the fact that God allowed the people to transfer their sins to him, making it his problem, 
God and sin are not compatible. He assumed the responsibility of sin as a manifestation of his forgiving grace, but his rendezvous with sin had only one purpose. That was to rescue his children and redeem them. Without the Day of Atonement, the daily transference of sin to the sanctuary would have indicated that it was a place, that that was the place of sin's origin. But this day validates that those sins would be eliminated and sent away forever, so that now each one of his children could get what he legally deserves, because God intervened and paid the fee of death that was due. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. All his judgments are righteous and true. When John wrote this, he had seen the mercy and tenderness, the love of God blending with his holiness, his justice, and his power. He saw sinners find a friend and defender in him who they had, of whom they had been afraid. The origin and responsibility of this most disturbing phenomena was Azazel, as symbolized in the scapegoat that was waiting at the door and sent away into the wilderness. Because of that, we can approach this friend and defender for a cleansing and a renewal that is promised in this day. So now I'm wondering, why go through all this? Why doesn't God just blot out our sins and send them away forever when we confess them? Why is there a record of forgiveness, forgiven sin in the sanctuary at all until the Day of Atonement? Forgiving sin does not deal with the full problem. While because of mercy we are forgiven sin, grace is the agent that empowers us to be a changed people. Sin is not just a list of the bad things we have done. It is a condition that permeates our being all the way to our bones. I recently talked to a drug addict and had my op eyes opened in this regard maybe a little bit more than I wanted. But I was told something very profound. To be rid of addiction to any drug is so hard because that drug has so permeated my life over many years of use that it has penetrated all the way to my bones. It is a hard, a very hard struggle and takes a long time of abstinence to work itself all the way out from my bones. That statement woke me up to the fact I cannot of myself clear out the sin that has so saturated me that it is entrenched all the way to my bones. When I ask Jesus, by your grace, deliver me from the sin that has settled into my bones, he says, my child, I accept you. You are mine. You are justified. But I also want to work in your life to make you everything that I now declare you to be. The promise is that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Am I willing to afflict my soul and make the choice to let go of my comfort zone that has me 
all the way to my bones entrenched in a world of sin and allow his purifying work to be completed? It is of utmost importance that we understand that this afflicting of my soul is the determining factor of what the whole day of atonement is all about. You shall humble your souls and do no work at all, and any person who refused to do so would be cut off from his people. Jesus also talked about this idea in his famous sermon um, because the root word for poor in spirit is the same as afflict your souls and humble yourself. As a matter of fact, he repeated it again when he pronounced a blessing on those that mourn because their sin has hurt their very best friend. To be afflicted means that we realize our spiritual poverty and come humbly um, before the Lord, turning from our sins to repentance. This is the most important part of the Day of Atonement, and it is at the center of all that happens, not because it is about me humbling myself. After all, even that is a gift. Scripture declares that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Do you not know that it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance? It is him, God, has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. My part is to choose to do his will and to depend on him for strength as I step in faith, complying with his will. That's when the really good part happens. And I said, it's not one-time event. As we continue to keep our gaze upon Jesus, our repentance deepens. For we will be increasingly aware of the boundlessness of his righteousness in comparison with our own lack. The Day of Atonement was teaching a lesson that we humans through the centuries seem unable to learn, and that is we cannot do any work to save ourselves. Only God could create me in the first place, and only God can recreate me from the mess sin has left me in to restore me back to his image. This afflicting my soul thing is a humbling so intense that it recognizes my total dependence on God. It's personal. It's the fight of your life. And it's a fight you have with yourself. You are the only one that can determine who is Lord of your life. No wonder God waits and waits and waits. This is a very serious decision. And he is pleading and calling that all that will possibly listen to him to leave a life of wavering and come boldly to the throne of grace for forgiveness and reconciliation. There is no way of reaching God unless we understand our utter and complete inability to rescue ourselves and lean on God's work in our lives to rid the sin problem from the world, from me, the Day of Atonement announced the consequences if my choice is not to recognize God as my all in all. Then in reality, I tell God to get out, and I choose to cling to the sin that has, is destined to be destroyed. 
You know God's saddest act will be letting go of those who have rejected every attempt he has made to save them. It is such an important issue that there are several places in Scripture that repeat the call to leave evil behind. Zechariah 3, Ezekiel 8 and 9, Daniel 7 and 8, Joel 3. Even Matthew in chapter 13 gives us a lot of parables, all pleading, all screaming, make a choice. You see, God's great plea is for you to say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Not long ago, I heard a story that really impressed me. It was a person who knew the president of the U.S. pretty well. As a matter of fact, he had counseled with him on several occasions. Um, one day, the president was to take a trip to the Middle East, a trip of goodwill, and he asked this fellow to tag along or accompany him. Of course, the man thought it was going to be a wonderful experience to get to see how the workings of this political game would, would unfold. So he agreed to go. After all, if you have a chance to go on Air Force One, are you going to say no? That's not smart. Upon arriving at their destination, um, security was really tight. And as the security team enveloped the president, his fellow companion and traveler was left to kind of fend for himself. Um, and it was, he was starting to get concerned because as the procession continued, he was getting further and further behind. How was he going to explain why he was there? How was he even going to get home? Just then, the president turned and searched the crowd, making eye contact with him. He pointed at his companion and he said, he's with me. Just that quick, security opened for half a second. The man was pulled in next to the president, and all was well. They made their way, on, continuing on their journey. That's a little taste of what God's judgment day will be like. Once I have determined that I want to go on that trip with him, when my name is brought up, he turns to those in the universe and heaven and declares in no uncertain terms, he is with me. Then Jesus will come with the blast of a trumpet and announce judgment's finality. Woohoo! Sorry, I just had to throw that in there, you know? But I get a little too excited about the conclusion of the judgment that vindicates God and his people, and there's still a little bit that the Day of Atonement has to say regarding the removal of garbage. Jesus has ratified who have been chosen to be his pe who have chosen to be his people. He's come to take them back with him to heaven, and that's really great news. But the best news still is to come. You see, once his people have lived with him a thousand years, our high priest will leave the most holy place with the burden of forgiven sin and return to the courtyard of earth, there to place that load of sin on the waiting goat. The evil one sending him off into the wilderness. Now the suspense is over. 
because the finality of what this day is telling us is being instigated. And they shall burn in fire the remaining parts of the sin offering carried outside of the camp to be burned to ashes. Sin and evil and everything that is associated with it are completely consumed, forever gone. That is what the Day of Atonement is screaming about. Jesus announcing the finality of my choice and judgment's decision, saying, she is with me. He is with me. It will be completed here where God tabernacled with us. Here, where God became Emmanuel. Here, where God will have dealt with the problem of sin and has permanently removed it from the cosmos. All along the way, each step that has been taken in the Day of Atonement has led us to this conclusion. The end of sin, an end of the record of sin, New Jerusalem set up on the new earth and life eternal with our Creator, Redeemer, High Priest, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, our friend and our defender. Even so, come Lord Jesus, let the celebration begin. Amen. <laughs>